Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com. Here is this week's teaching. Oh, it's good to be here. Let me say welcome to Church 307. Uh, we're doing some new stuff online today, and we got some kinks to work out, but welcome. We love that you're here. Thanks for joining us. To the guys over at the prison and to our friends at the jail, uh, we are so happy to be together today. Uh, we are in a series right now where we are walking through the life of Jesus, and we've been very encouraged by focusing on the things that Jesus focused on. Because often in our faith, we can kind of pick and choose, and I'm passionate about this, and I believe this, and I read this, and somebody told me this, and we kind of just start creating our own focuses and our own version of Christianity. But I think it's very valuable to us to just totally focus in on Jesus. What did he say? What did he do? What did he prioritize over everything else? And the aspect of Jesus's life that we're going to focus in on today was the people he surrounded himself with. You know, it wasn't what anybody expected, and that's why the Jews did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, because he wasn't with the people that they expected him to be with. He didn't do the things that they expected him to do, and so as a result, people just kind of rejected him. Who did he spend his time with? He spent all his time with lonely people, with the least of these, with lost people. He spent his time with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, rebels, revolutionaries. Jesus surrounded himself with the outcasts of his society. Because when you look at the life of Jesus, you don't see a middle ground. Like he spent some time with the elites and with the wealthy and well-connected, and he spent some time with the poor and the lost. No, he, he spent a very large disproportionate amount of his time with outsiders. And so I think there, when he was around the well-connected and the wealthy and the powerful people, he usually spent his time condemning them and, and talking about why they were wrong. But when he was t- around the less wealthy and not well-connected people, the outcasts, he spent his time healing them and encouraging them. Luke tells us, that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to Jesus to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them, fellowshipping with them. People called him a drunk, partier. So this story that we're going to look at today is actually the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. So Jesus gathered a huge crowd of people by the Sea of Galilee, and he preaches what we call the Sermon on the Mount, because it was on a mountain, uh, more like a hill. But So Jesus is up on this mountain, and he's preaching to this large crowd of people. And I'm going to read the story to you today from Galilee, where Jesus would have been when he preached this sermon. I'm at the Mount of the Beatitudes where Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, He opens with the famous uh, Beatitudes at the beginning of the sermon where it goes like this, Matthew 5, verse 1. 
One day as the crowds were gathering, Jesus went up the mountainside with his disciples and sat down to teach them. This is what he taught them. God blesses those who realize their need for him, for the kingdom of God is given to them. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are gentle and lowly, for the whole earth will will belong to them. God blesses those who are hungry and thirsty for justice, for they will receive it in full. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted because they live for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when you are mocked and persecuted and lied about because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted too. I think this is an incredibly confusing and frustrating opening to your big sermon, Jesus. Like we've kind of been building to this moment and Jesus comes out and the very first thing out of his mouth is incredibly controversial. We talk about Jesus's kingdom as being an upside down kingdom. It's the reverse of what you would expect. The people of Jesus's day would have expected that he would brag about why rich people are rich. He would brag about why powerful people are powerful and and God blesses the powerful people and God blesses the rich people. And he says the exact opposite. In fact, if you just kind of want to summarize this whole portion of his sermon, he says that God blesses outsiders. What? Now, he's not saying that you won't be blessed or you can't be blessed if you're an insider. But he's saying statistically, insiders are less likely to receive the blessing that Jesus offers. Insiders are less likely to open themselves up to the blessing that Jesus is promising to those who will receive him. Imagine one day that you order a pizza and you order the pizza and it's taking longer than you want. So you're getting really hungry. Anybody know that feeling? feeling that right now, really hungry. And the pizza man shows up at your door and he's holding the pizza, but he's just holding it in his hand. There's no box. And the cheese is oozing down his arm, right? And he's like, here's your pizza. May I have my money? Can I have my $50 or whatever a pizza costs now? It's ridiculous. And you're like, uh, no. I don't know where that hand has been. What, have you, what did you touch before you touched my pizza? And all the toppings that fell off. You're not okay with receiving this pizza. Why? Because you expected the pizza to come in a box. If I order a pizza, then I expect it to come in some kind of serving container, a vessel. That's what I expect. He's like, well, you didn't order a box. You ordered a pizza. Here's your pizza. <laughs> You said you want a pizza. I brought you a pizza. But you expect the pizza to come in a box. Now, when you order pizza, you don't, you're not like, hey, guys, anybody hungry? I think I'm going to order a box. No. You don't say I'm going to order a box. You say I'm going to order pizza, but you expect the pizza to come in a box. That's just kind of assumed in the whole ordering a pizza situation, right? But why? I mean, a box is... 
worthless, right? I mean, this box, unless you're like super crafty or something, has absolutely, in fact, it has so little value that I walked into old Chicago this week and I said, hey, can I have a pizza box? They didn't even ask any questions. They just handed me a pizza box. Why? Because it cost them like 20 cents and then that costs more money to talk to you right now. So here's a pizza box. Take the pizza box. It's, it's complete. There's no value in the pizza box unless the pizza box has a pizza in it, right? A vessel becomes valuable when its contents are valuable. But we live in a world of people who are going around bragging about how pretty their pizza box is or insecure about how everybody else's pizza box is so beautiful and they feel insecure about their own pizza box. Do you get where I'm going with this? I'm not talking about pizza boxes. You are a vessel. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God has promised to make you clean and fill you with his spirit. It doesn't matter what your body looks like. That's not the point. That's not the goal. I, uh, I think my favorite pizza in town comes from Pizza Corello. Anybody else like Pizza Corello? Yeah, yeah. we got a couple fans in the room. I think, it's, I think it's great pizza. However, I bought one the other day, and it came. Anybody know what the box at Pizza Corello looks like? Plain white box. Just an ugly, like, they, don't go, they didn't go to the expense to have anything printed on, something, print, printed on it. It's just a plain, ugly white box, but it's the best pizza in town. So I could care less what the box looks like. Now, if I was just judging from the outside, I'd say, have you ever seen those beautiful orange boxes from Little Caesar? I'm a big fan of orange. I don't know if you guys noticed, but those, those boxes of Little Caesar, if I'm just looking from the outside, I'm assuming Little Caesar box. Give me that. I want that pizza. I bet that's the good pizza because I'm judging based on what the box looks like. Hot and ready, I don't, I don't, know if you've, I don't know if you've had Little Caesar's pizza recently, but the hot thing, hot thing, flat out lie, and ready means it was ready five days ago and it's been sitting there waiting on you. No, thank you. I'm, if I've got the choice between Pizza Corella or Old Chicago or the pretty box at Little Caesars, I'm not picking Little Caesars because I know better because I've tasted the pizza. And it's gross. Sorry, teenagers, we serve you a lot of Little Caesars around here, but that's what we can afford. We live in a world of people who have just decided that I don't care about what the contents are. I don't care what's inside of you. I don't care about all that spiritual stuff. All I care about is what you look like and social media and, and, and all of this has just made it worse. All I care about is how much do you weigh? How many likes do you get on social media? How, how, what kind of car do you drive? What brand of clothing do you wear? And this in our society is how we assign status. How dumb are we? How worthless is all of this? Yet we spend so much of our effort and our time 
in our emotions pursuing worthless in these lives. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are so much more than your appearance. Your value is so much greater than your physical beauty. The reality is that without God, our bodies are totally worthless. Without God, our bodies are damned for eternity. Now he can use them with or without our consent. He's God. He used Pharaoh, for goodness sakes. He can use anybody. But if you want to see value in yourself, don't look at yourself in a mirror to determine that value. Look at God to determine that value. Because if God is in you, your value cannot be measured. It is immeasurable. You are are infinitely valuable if the infinite God is in you. Have you ever heard of honor culture? I promised to stop talking about Israel eventually, but I did go there recently and I just, it's changed a lot of my thinking in life. So I talk about it a lot. But in Israel, one of the cultural, uh, one of the things that amazed me most about their culture is this, what I now know is called honor culture. And it's how they assign value to people based on their status in society, based on the family that they were born into, based on how wealthy they are, based on what they have to offer their society. This is how we decide who has honor. And they all, there's good sides and bad sides. They choose to honor the older people. Like that's a choice, not because, but they've just decided that different people and different, and this is true about Middle East. This is true about Far East. We're actually the unique ones in this society. That's because when our founders came over here and decided that they were going to establish a new kind of government, a new kind of people, this is what they said. They said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Thought I was going to have to do it from memory there for a while. We hold these truths to be self-evident, obvious, that all men are created equal. That's unique that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, the pursuit of happiness thing may be a little bit naive, but the beginning is awesome. We are all equal. Why? Because we have a creator. We are not equal because we have the same amount to offer to society, because we have the same amount of beauty, or because of what family we were born into. We are equal because we were created by the same creator. All men are created equal. And when they said this, it introduced a major shift into our world. Today, looking back, we have labeled this new culture that they created dignity culture. It says that you have dignity because of your creator. You have dignity because you are a human, not because of your social status. Now we look at history and we realize it took a long time for us to actually start acting like we believe what we said. 
We said we think all men are created equal, but it took a while for us to start acting like it. And today, we still don't fully act like it, but we're moving in that direction. Things like slavery were around, and they kind of hung on because we didn't fully buy into what we said we believe. We didn't fully believe all men were created equal. And it took some time. But as we matured, as we grew, as we learned things, we became more and more of what we said we wanted to be. So much so that now we are actually taking it to its extreme, its unhealthy extreme. We are swinging the pendulum past what the intention was. Today, we are taking it to a new level that sociologists are calling victimhood culture. This is when we assign equal value to everyone, so much so that we expect complete equity. So anybody who has less than anybody else is labeled as a victim. And then the crazy thing is that in victimhood culture, we actually revert back to the discrimination of honor culture. But the people who get valued most are now the victims. And so we've actually just gone full circle here. We've gone right back to elevating some people above other people based on their status in society. Because this is our natural human sinful tendency is to elevate others above other people for whatever reason it is. Now, I don't like the names of these because it implies that if I don't... I'm not a part of honor culture that I don't honor people or if I'm not a part of victimhood culture that I don't care about victims. I didn't put the names on them. That's just, that's just what they did. But I would like to focus in, I'll take a step back here. I'd like to focus in on the, tra- the first transition that we had talked about because I think this is the same transition that Jesus was making in his lifetime. Jesus was kind of leading us toward this same idea because remember, Jesus was a Jew. And the Jews believed, or God told them, that they were God's chosen people. Not all men are created equal. You are elevated. You are better. You Jews are God's chosen people. And they loved this. They were very proud of this status that they had. And then this Jesus guy comes along claiming to be Messiah, but then he also says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start treating the least of these like they are equal. In fact, I'm even going to call them better. I'm even going to elevate them. He he started to lift people up who society had started to say had less worth in their culture. He started to say that it's not only the Jews who are God's chosen people, but that all men are invited to be God's chosen people. He started offering this, which used to be reserved for only a select group of people, to everyone. Jesus was offering to the world a kingdom, a better kingdom of sacrificial equality. A kingdom of people that are called to give away more than they receive. To live sacrificially for the least of these. To expect to give. To expect to sacrifice. That's who we are. We expect to be persecuted. That's how he concluded the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. And this was a totally different way of thinking. But when we are a vessel, 
then we put aside our agendas, we put aside our ideas, and we begin to follow him and adopt whatever idea he happens to come up with. Whatever you say, I do. Wherever you lead me, I will follow. And we believe that it is in following, that it is in his filling us with his mission and with his ideas and his plan for our life that we finally have value. Okay, here's another story. This one's uh, from back in the day of the prophets and second kings. It goes like this. One day, the, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha. So Elisha is God's prophet to the nation of Israel, the big prophet, and he's got a bunch of employees who help him in his prophet work. And one of his employees dies. So the widow of the employee comes to Elisha and cried out, my husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor, a bank has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. So this is how things worked in their culture. This is how they handled debt. If you can't pay back your debt, then you have to work as a slave for the person that you owe the debt to. You become their slave. Well, if for some reason you can't work for them, maybe you're physically unable or you, or you die, then it's that uh, responsibility is handed off to your children. And so she's saying, listen, the bank is coming and turning my sons into slaves because my husband borrowed money that he couldn't pay back before he died. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all, except a flask of olive oil, she replied. What was oil used for in their day? What did they use it for? Well, there are multiple reasons, probably why you're hesitant, but the primary purpose that they would have used oil for is fuel, to light a fire. It was their fuel source. It was their light. And all throughout scripture, oil is used as a metaphor of God, or more specifically of the Holy Spirit. So when somebody is anointed with oil, then they are being anointed with the Holy Spirit. This is the idea. And it is because of the value that they placed on that oil and the purpose that it served in their lives. And so as we're reading this story, you can kind of connect these two things together. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled How's that possible? The flask is smaller than the jar. How is the jar getting filled? So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. So Elisha performs this incredible miracle. And every time she fills a jar, or she fills a jar, she gets another jar and it just keeps getting filled more and more oil. Soon, every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. Something, is mirac something miraculous is happening. God is doing something great. Don't stop. Bring me more vessels. Keep bringing more vessels because he keeps filling them up. 
The value of what we are discussing now is too great. Whatever it costs, get more vessels. Church, our calling in this life is to be like this woman, this widow, to bring God more vessels. Vessels of all shapes and sizes, beautiful and ugly, sinful vessels and all. Bring them to God so that he can fill them with his spirit. And if we stop bringing him vessels, if we stop doing our job, then we have stepped in the way of God fulfilling his mission in this world. Now he'll use somebody else. May even use Pharaoh. But wouldn't it be great to be used? Wouldn't it be great to be God's vessel? To be used by him? There aren't any more, he told her. And then, when the vessels were gone, and then the olive oil stopped flowing. Why did she want more jars? It's because that these jars represented a way of holding this precious oil. At this point, she wasn't looking for beautiful jars. She never gave stipulations about what kind of jars she's wanting. Just find any jar you can find. Anything that can be filled up. The vessels became useful or became valuable. Next slide. The vessels became valuable when they were filled with oil. I think the church too often has started looking around the world for people we could witness to by looking for good people. We started looking around for people who are worthy of God's spirit. We create this country club Christianity where we, we want the best of the best to come in through our doors so that we have, so we look good to society. And in doing so, we look nothing like Christ. Christian, our calling is to, like Christ, reach out to those who are broken, those who are hurting, to the least of these. We are on a search for vessels. And what are the requirements for a vessel to be used? Think about the pizza box. What's the requirement for this pizza box to be useful? You need a couple things for, for this pizza box. Number one, you need the pizza box to be clean. But at New Life, we say, belong before you believe. In other words, you can't come clean. You're not going to do it. If you wait until you get everything together and, and you wait until you're good enough to come to church, you're never going to come. So our invitation is not get clean enough so that you can come. The invitation is come so that he can clean you. Because the pizza box cannot clean itself. It is completely incapable of cleaning itself up after the last Super Bowl party that it was used for in which the Kansas City Chiefs won. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Just needed to slip it in there somewhere before we ended today. But if this pizza box is dirty, I don't want it to be used. The good news for us is that we're all dirty until we are cleaned, 
until he makes us clean, until he, he, he says he washes us white as snow. And that may not be possible with a pizza box, but it's possible with you. And what's the second requirement for a pizza box to be useful? It's got to be empty. If it's still got all the wadded up napkins from the, pizza, from the Super Bowl party, it can't, you can't put a pizza in it. This is the reason why Jesus says it's hard for a rich person to come into the kingdom of heaven. Because we're full when we're rich. We're self-sustaining when we're rich. We get so full of self-sufficiency and so full of pride and so full of anger and skepticism. There was no room for God. I don't need God. I got me. Have you seen me? Have you seen my stuff? Have you seen my bank account? I don't need God. I got this. And in this way, poverty becomes a blessing. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are outcasts. Why? Because it is in your outcastness, it is in your poverty that you see your need for Jesus. That is a blessing. You recognizing your need for Jesus is the best blessing you could ever receive. Brennan Manning says, the deeper we grow in the spirit of Jesus Christ, the poorer we become. He's not talking about financial wealth. He's not talking about money. He's talking about this idea Jesus is talking about, being poor in spirit, being emptied of myself. The deeper we grow in the spirit of Jesus Christ, the poorer, the more humble we become. The more we realize that everything in life is a gift, the tenor of our lives becomes one of humble and joyful thanksgiving. Awareness of our poverty and ineptitude causes us to rejoice in the gift of being called out of darkness into wonderful light. Into wonderful light. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the burning oil in our lives. So Christians, what does the Holy Spirit do to our insecurities? He blows them up. There is no room for insecurity. You are the temple of God. What are you insecure about? Is he not good enough? Is he in you not good enough? If God lives in us, we are infinitely valuable. If there is any insecurity in us, it just reveals that we don't see ourselves the same way God sees us. then we obviously don't recognize what we were actually created to be because what you were created to be was not the prettiest body. What you were actually created to be was the temple of the Holy Spirit. To be the church is what you were created to be. Isaiah tells us of Jesus that he had no beauty to attract people to him. His physical beauty was not why people were coming to him. Why did people come to him? Because he, he had something much better to offer to them. You didn't go to Jesus. When you became a Christian, you didn't become a Christian because Jesus was beautiful. You became a Christian because he had something much better to offer you. 
Jesus prioritized ministry to the least of these because they were empty vessels. Looking for something better. The pretty vessels had filled themselves up. They were full of worthless junk, like stuff and beauty. And so there was no room for Jesus in their lives. So Jesus went to the ugly vessels. Here's the reality. In your eyes, you will always be ugly. Or at least you won't be as pretty as you want to be. You, you will never look in the mirror and think, I made it. Perfection. Look at that. Could not possibly improve on that. That won't happen. You'll keep trying. But it's not, you're not going to get, you're never going to be rich enough. Elon Musk is still investing money. Elon Musk is still trying to get more wealthy. What are you going to do with all the money? Nothing. I just need more. You're never going to be rich enough. Ever. And as long as you pursue the beauty and the, the allure of this world, you will always feel disappointment in your lives. Yet if you will begin to see that what you, the reason why you feel unsatisfied with those things is because you were not created for those, for those things, then you will begin to sacrifice those desires for whatever it is God is calling you to. Because he created you and he knows what you need. He knows what you will actually fulfill you. So don't pursue the things that you naturally want. Pursue the things that he says you should have. And you will have actual fulfillment in this life. It's the reason why Christians are six times more likely to say that they feel purpose in their lives than everyone else. Is because it is the person it is recognizing the person who has given me that purpose, recognizing that I am simply a vessel for his, for his spirit in my life, that I become the person he created me to be. And that allows me to trade my insecurity for authenticity. And so now I can come to the world and not say, look how good I am. Look how strong I am. Look how pretty I am. Look how wealthy I am. Instead, I come to the world and I say, look how screwed up I am. And God used me anyway. Look how broken I am. Look how afraid I am. Look how poor I am. Look how ugly I am. And God loves me anyway. And God's spirit in me makes me what I could never make myself. God's spirit in me gives me what I could never get on my own. So yes, do I look in the mirror and feel fulfilled? No. But when I pray, when I have a conversation with God, and I recognize what is truly valuable in this world, I am overwhelmed with gratitude. How many times in my prayer life have I just been humbled to tears as I recognize the incredible blessing that it is to be used by God, to be filled by his spirit? That is truly good. There's somebody who came here today who has been hesitant to come to church. 
You've thought, I got to get some things together first and I've got to stop doing this thing or I've got to change my living situation or I've got to quit, whatever it is. And, and be, probably mostly because how the church has gotten this conversation screwed up in the past, you had an idea that you needed to be clean enough to come to church. So you didn't come until eventually you got fed up, you hit rock bottom, or maybe you just got brave enough, said, I'm going anyway. What I'm doing isn't working. And to whoever that is here today, who came through those doors just because God called you, maybe you don't know that's why, but that's why you came. I want to say thank you and praise the Lord. Because today, a gift is being offered to you. A blessing is being offered to you that you cannot receive anywhere else. Only from God. Only he can give you this gift. And it is a gift that will clean you up. And you're not going to become perfect overnight. You're not, all, your, all your habits are going to go away instantly. But he will make you his temple. He will allow you to assume his perfection into your life. So have a conversation with him today and say, God, I'm ready to be used by you. I want to be your vessel and allow him to take it from there. If you're ready to do that, there's a card in the chair in front of you. If you'd fill it out and let us know that you're ready today, you can drop a card in the back of the room. We'll send you some information about some next steps that you can take, or there'll be people to pray up here at the end of the service with you if you'd like to do that. But don't put it off. It's the most important decision that you'll ever make. God, I thank you that right now your spirit is doing what I cannot. Draw people to yourself and allow me to be your vessel. I thank you for your grace and for your unconditional love. In Jesus' name, amen.